All right, so this morning we're going to continue with our study through the book of 1 Thessalonians, as I, as I mentioned a minute ago. Last week, we began with, with an introduction of this book. We, we dove into it and we looked who the key players are, okay, who, who they are in this book. We saw that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, of course, the number one key player in the book, right? Because <laughs> it's in the Bible, and this is about God, right? And we see his characteristics of who he is. So we saw in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, that's all we read last week. We saw we, right away, we didn't put them in the order that Paul mentioned them, but we saw right away that Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that it's all about God. God the Father, Son, and in verse 6 he mentions the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's making sure that that's where they are with their foundation, Right? And then we saw also that the other key players were Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And we looked at each one of them, a little short uh, testimony of who they were, where they came from, and, and how they found their, their, their place in this, in this book. And then we looked at the city of Thessalonica, right? Where it is located, the culture and the church. We saw that this book, like most books found throughout the Bible, is written for times like ours. All right, it, it is written, for, it is relevant for times like ours. It was written to a culture that was filled with seductive images and sexual pressures. It was written to bring eternal perspectives concerning material things. It was written to question secular values that undermine God. Now, none of those things are happening in our world today, right? None. Not, not a one of those things that I mentioned. Right? So, okay, I'm just going to sit down. We're going to close in prayer and baptize people because it's not really relevant. It's, it's not for times like ours. It is for times like ours. Everything that I mentioned is going on in our culture. It's going on in our world. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. All the crazy things we see happening in our world, there's nothing new under the sun. There may be a new iPhone today that there wasn't back then, but that's about it, right? Technology's changed, but the way man is has not changed. The way we sin may change, but it's still the same sin. Okay, that's what we're looking at. That's why this book is important. So we read in Acts chapter 17, we read one chapter, one verse in 1 Thessalonians. And then we turned to Acts chapter 17 to see the beginning of this church through Paul's second missionary journey. Right? We saw that, that Paul was forced to, to leave this city when the religious leaders, those religious people, right? Those religious leaders became jealous after many Many people, mostly Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, began to believe in the message of Jesus. We saw that there was a predominant uh, cult that was going on that the Romans were putting down right at the time. And it was about that time in history that here comes uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy because God's timing is always perfect. And he comes and they present Jesus and they were more than ready to receive because we talked about how this culture, this lower poor class, uh, were being uh, abused and undermined in this society. So we looked at this, these things. 
So sometime later, after Paul has been forced to leave, right? The religious leaders, they stir up the crowd, they're jealous. Uh, after some time later, uh, Paul is, he's concerned and he's, he's curious. So what does he do? I wonder how they're doing over there. You know, so he sends Timothy to check on this young church. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he mentions that Timothy had come back. But Timothy had come back and that's what's prompted Paul to write this letter. All right? He, he had them, um, he wanted to know, he sent Timothy, he wanted to know had they, had they survived the religious leaders, had they, res, uh, had they survived the ridicule, had they survived all the persecution. They were a young church. There was a lot of peer pressure. So Paul was forced to leave and he wants to send Timothy back to say, hey, let's see how these guys are doing and, and if they're making it. Did they abandon their faith as born again disciples of Jesus? This morning, we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to reread verse 1 and we're going to read all the way down to verse number 3. Okay, so we're going to begin to see how Paul responds to the news that Timothy has brought to him before, before we witness those that are going to be baptized in water and celebrate at the end of our service. Amen? Because it is a celebration to see somebody be baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is their public confession of faith that they receive the, the gift of of grace, the death on the cross, the forgiveness of sins. And they're saying, I believe in that. And now I'm going to show the world that I'm a born again believer of Christ. The baptism doesn't save you. Being baptized in the bridge church doesn't save you. Believing in what Jesus did on the cross is what saved you because you accept that gift of grace and you are now making your statement of faith. And if you're here today and you didn't sign up, which by the way we don't do, and you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to get baptized, we have a change of clothes for you and a towel. And when I dismiss those, you follow them right out and we'll hold you under until you bubble. <laughs> and we'll celebrate with you. All right, that's a whole nother sermon. I better move on. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 and 3. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. There's what we read last week. Uh, um, we saw that they are the key players from last week. Now let's go on. We... Meaning Paul, Silas, and Timothy, maybe some other disciples around him. We don't know, but we get who the we are. We always thank God for all of you. He's speaking to the church there. Mentioning you in our prayers. We continually, continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Timothy, he has brought back good news that encouraged Paul to begin by mentioning their faith, love, and hope. Just think how encouraging he comes right out and mentions their faith, love, and hope. Paul was thankful. You see, Paul was thankful that this church was, was growing in their spiritual relationship not only with God, but with one another. 
So these are the three areas I want to just have a shorter message today. Lord help us. But because I, I know we're going to be, uh, concentrate and focus on the baptisms. But this is very important today. So we're going to focus on just those, those three things. Right? Those three things this morning. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And my prayer, my prayer is for each of us, for each of us is that we grow stronger in each area as we live for times like ours, right? The world needs to see strong, born-again disciples of Jesus operating with a strong faith and a deep love and a great hope. We have what the world needs, church. If you are a born-again disciple of Jesus, you have faith, you have love, and you have hope, you have the answer. Okay, we do. You and I, we have the answer. So let's begin by looking at their faith that Paul mentions. Faith. I can say that word faith and perhaps walk around our great city and ask different people what faith means. And, and I know I will probably get a lot of different answers. But what does the Bible say faith is? Huh, maybe we should turn to that because we are a Bible-believing church and, and see what the Bible says faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6. It says, now faith is being sure of. You are 100% sure, positive what you believe here. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed out, uh, formed at God's command. God said, let it happen, create things, and bang, it happened. There's the big bang theory for some of you. Okay, God said and bang, it happened. Okay? Takes more faith to believe in the other belief than it does in, in a divine creator. It really, really does. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. That's a strong faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's faith according to the word of God. You see, by faith, we believe in what we have not seen. By faith, we believe in what we have not seen. But what I have experienced in my life gives me the faith to believe, okay? How my relationship with Jesus has transformed me. I have never seen Jesus. I've seen pictures that man have tried to write and create who Jesus is, but none of us, I, I, well, I can't say none of us, I have never seen Jesus. 
But I know what Jesus has done in my life personally. I know how he has transformed me. I know how he has changed me. There is no other answer for what has taken place in my life except for a living God who we call Jesus. You see, and that's what we can see in people, right? Our testimonies, what people see in us. By faith. But you see... Paul is not just thankful that they have come to a place where they believe, where they believe in and become born again disciples of Jesus. He is thankful for their working faith. He said, your work produced by faith. In other words, he is thankful for their faith that is alive, a working faith. Look with me at James chapter 2 for a better understanding of a working faith. James chapter 2, verse 14 and 26. What good is it? What good is it, my brothers? Uh, my brothers, he's talking to the church. He's talking to us. It's an endearment, right? What good is it, my brothers and sisters? If a man claims to have faith, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by, I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. Abraham had enough faith to believe that there is, is a God and he's going to do what God called him to do, put his faith into action. God said to, to prepare to sacrifice his long-awaited son. So he, by faith, he went and he was going to do it and the Lord stopped him and offered a sacrifice. You see, he had a strong faith and he put his faith into action. And the scripture was, uh, was fulfilled that, that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The Thessalonians, Paul is writing, he's encouraged because they are doing something with their faith that causes him to be encouraged because their faith is in action. There's deeds, there's something taking place within that body of Christ that stirs him up in a way to write about their working faith. Paul is thankful that they have this kind of working faith. He is also thankful to hear about their labor prompted by love. Love. 
They had a working love. They had a working faith and they had a working love. What's the difference between having love and a working love? I love my wife, Cindy. I've been married to Cindy for 27 long, I mean 27 years. <laughs> Wonderful years. I've been married to Cindy for 27 years and I, and I can and do tell her that I love her every day and honestly for her that would be, that would be good enough. But my, my actions behind my words show her that I love her, see? She doesn't look for it, she doesn't expect it. It's easy to say, it's easy to say, I, I love you, honey. Thank, thank you uh, for the wonderful dinner. Put my dirty dishes in the sink and sloth away to the couch. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's easy. Yeah, I love you. Thank you. you know, see you later. I labor in love. Meaning, I have a working love. Now, don't go tell Cindy I said I labor with my love. With her. <laughs> I labor in my love. I have a working love, right? A love and appreciation of my wife. Perhaps my point is made clear in, in 1 John 3, 16 and 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. So it's a working love. Love and faith kind of sound a lot of the same, don't they? You see, love is not always some sort of warm, fuzzy feeling we get when we're around someone, right? Well, I'm really in love with, with my wife today. I have this warm, fuzzy feeling. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened a few days ago. I really didn't have that warm, fuzzy feeling. I guess I don't love her anymore. The world does that so much. I, I can't stay married to you anymore because I've fallen out of love with you. Love is more than a feeling. If you base your feelings to stay in a relationship with somebody, you might as well move to a cave somewhere and be by yourself. Because you're not always going to feel like you love people. Am I right? Or am I just singing to the choir up here? It, we're humans, right? We're not always going to feel like we love people. Love is about actions. Love is about putting people first. Even when you don't feel like it. That's why it says, you know, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Well, I really have this really good feeling right now for my brother Wayne and I can lay down my life for him. Tomorrow I might not yeah, care too much about him so I'm not going to lay down my life for him. You see, the point is it's always about putting others before yourself. And there's something about when you put others before yourself and, and give and help people, it makes you feel good about yourself, doesn't it? If that's why you're doing it, you might have the wrong motives, but you get my point. Love is what we lay down for others. It is an action. It is 
at work. Now for the last of the three we're focusing on this morning that Paul is thankful to hear is, that is growing in this church is hope. Hope. Now here's a few uh, simple definitions of hope. I think we all understand what hope is, but these definitions, I think, really help us uh, be on the same page and, and have a full understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking a, a, about hope. Just two short uh, definitions. Hope. To anticipate something good to come in the future. A second one. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Does that make sense? Hope. We, we hope something's going to happen. I would say that hope gives us something to look forward to in life. For instance, I have hope, I have an expectation, and Lord knows I have a desire that warmer weather would come to our city. Yeah. See, that's, that's hope. I have my hope in that. I have my hope for those super long summer days and warm nights, right? I have my hope in that. You see, but we can also put our, our hope in a lot of different things as we live out our lives, right? Some people put their hope, their expectations in the government to meet all their needs. Some people put their hope in, in doctors uh, for healing. Some people put their hope in, in family to bring them joy. Now there's, there's, please hear me, there's nothing wrong with, with believing that these things uh, or these people may help you in this life. And, that, and that's great. Family's important, right? And orderly government's important, right? Doctors are important. I, I'm not saying don't go to a doctor when you're sick. I'm just saying don't put all your hope in those things. God uses those things, right? He uses them. But that's not where we put our hope, our, 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 expect, our expectations and our desires for things to happen. If only the government would come through, then I, then I will have all these wonderful things. You see, that's, that's misplaced hope. So hope. There's nothing wrong with those things. Please, please don't walk out of here and think I'm speaking against them. I'm just saying, don't misplace our hope. When I say that true hope comes from believing, I, I, what I want to say is true hope comes from believing and following Jesus. You see, that's where our true hope comes from. Paul was thankful for the Thessalonian church having endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, uh, he, didn't, he didn't write endurance inspired by the hope they have in the Roman government that is there at the time keeping them captive, right? That's not what he's commending them for or thankful for their growth. He is thankful for their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I make it any clearer? They had hope that gave them patience, a working hope, a working faith, a working love, and a working hope. As we saw last week, they were in a large city influenced by trade and commerce from all around the region. Remember I said the city, they estimated about 200,000 people. They were, uh, they were in the bay that connected to the, Med the Aegean Sea, that connected to the Mediterranean. They had a major highway that ran through the whole eastern region. So they had plenty of commerce. They had plenty of things to make them happy, right? They, they were under Roman control, which brought much idol worship into the city. 
All this worldly influence could have caused them to lose their hope in the promise of God. See, Paul knew this, and he was encouraged to see that they still had their hope in Jesus, even through the persecution and the ridicule and all the stuff they could have turned to, and all these, these different things. But he was encouraged that they still had their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what Peter Peter wrote about having true hope in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Paul is thankful. Peter gets it, the, the apostles get it, but Paul is thankful to hear that through everything this church is going through, they have not lost their hope and what lies ahead as they endure the times they, they, that they find themselves in. It wasn't easy, but they stay with their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not displaced their hope in Jesus. Their hope is alive and well. It is a, it is a working hope. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I'm going to have those that are being baptized. I, I want to go ahead and dismiss you at this time. Uh, if, if I didn't have a chance to talk to you about what to do, just go out those back doors, go down the hallway, up the stairs, in the bathroom. There's people up there that are going to help you, and, and uh, you'll be ready to go in just a few minutes. Well, Pastor Jay, that was great. I'm glad you talked about... Faith, love, and hope, wonderful for the Thessalonians. But you guys all know me. You know me well enough that I'm not going to stop there because now it's all about us. Yes. Not it's all about us. Look at me. It's all about us and how do we apply the word of God to ourselves. So I want to ask each of you, I want to ask each of you this morning, including myself, where you stand as a born-again disciple of Jesus when it comes to your faith, love, and hope. Everybody just focus on me for, next, for the next few minutes because I want to challenge you. We're going to be let out early and you get to go home with a lot of chocolate syrup. So before we do all these things, I want to challenge you. Is your faith a living faith? Meaning, do you go beyond just believing in Jesus? Remember, uh, in James I read, the demons believe in, in Jesus and, and they shudder, right? So you can believe in Jesus. I've met a lot of people over, over my years as a pastor that say they believe in Jesus. But that's about it. And when you think about Hebrews chapter 11. What I just read about a working faith. It's kind of sad to see people there. Do you put your faith to work? Works don't save you. I'm going to go work at the church. I'm going to, I'm going to stand at the church and give away food at Palace and Love because I'm working 
favor with God. I'm going to work my... That's not what we're talking about. It's not about works. It's about having a faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you do deeds. You do works out of your action, out of your motivation, love what Christ has done for you. Because hopefully, as you are showing your love for what Christ has done for you out of gratitude, that same love you're showing to Christ as you have faith and you serve, somebody else is going to say, wow, what do you have? You're so happy helping people. Let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done in my life. See, you open the door when you have a working faith. When your faith isn't working, people may not even know you're a believer. I'm a closet believer. I go to church every Sunday and the rest of the week I just hang my Christian suit back up in the closet. I don't want anybody to see my faith working. I'm just being blunt. I'm being real this morning. I'm challenging myself too. Do you hear me? Because this is what the Bible is telling us to do. To have faith that works. Faith. Put it in action. Is it a working faith? It is, a work, is it a working faith where you are first, first of all reading the word, the word of God, the Bible, and applying it to your life? And then are you, are you serving somewhere for the Lord? Faith without deeds is dead. If your faith is like what we see here in the Thessalonian church that encouraged Paul so much to write about it, then it will grow exceedingly with evidence by your faithful service. You still love me? Well, let's move on to the next one. Do you have a working love? Is your love in word only or in deed and truth? Do you walk the walk or do you just talk the talk? That's what we looked at. When it said, ah, oh, you see somebody in need and you're like, oh, go, good, have a good day, I'll pray for you, but you don't do anything for them. You're just talking the talk. It's like you're prompted, you're convicted, man, I gotta help my brother or sister because they're hurting. Granted, you can't always help everybody all the time. I get it. But sometimes the Holy Spirit prompts us to do something for someone. I, I've told this story many, many times. Uh, it's been quite a while. But years and years and years ago, when I became a born-again believer, I, 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 we invited people to live in our house. We did, my wife and I, we were just zealous. We were going, asking people. One day I was coming home from work. I, I just had a fat paycheck in my wallet. And I turned, because, you know, I like shortcuts. Shortcut, make for a long journey. And Pastor Jay, if you ever ride, for, ride with me. But I took this side road because I, it was a shortcut. And, and I drove by this apartment place. And there was a lady standing out in front. She was just standing there. And I noticed her. And the Holy Spirit quickened me and said, stop and, and give her some money. But Lord, I'm on my way home. I got to stop. I got to go. This is my money. And I go about three or four blocks. And man, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I turned around. It's not that I didn't like to give. I just had excuses that day, right? None of us have excuses. But So I go back. I turn around and I go back. And she was gone. I couldn't find her. Still to this day, I, I, I don't, I'm like, man, the Lord wanted me to use, use me, give her some money and tell her about Jesus and I, and I blew it. 
We know when, when we're to help somebody. We, we, we sense it at times, right? To do our best. If your love is your love directed towards others or towards self, if your love is like the church in Thessalonians, then it too will abound, evidenced by serving one another in love. And then, what do you put your hope in? have a strong hope in the promises of God that comes from reading his love letter to you, the, the Bible, right? You see, as I said last week, in all five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, at the end of each chapter, Paul mentions the second coming of Christ, and we're going to be diving into that. I can't wait. But you see, we have, we have a hope that spurs us on to, to live a life that pleases God and causes others, as I mentioned, to see that there is more to this life as we patiently wait for His return. Understand, after, after He, meaning Jesus, returns and a few different future events take place, uh, you can read Revelation to see those events. I don't have time to dissect each one of them, but after he returns uh, and these things take place, this, this is what happens. This, this, is, this is the bottom line truth, uh, hope. We have what we call the blessed hope, which is it's the second coming of Christ. But if you want to go deeper with your hope, which I'm hoping you'll, you'll see that this is, this is it. This is what we as born-again believers put our true hope in. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 and 7. Then I saw, John who wrote this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to this, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Is that not hope? A future event, right? An expectation? They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Is that something to hope for, church? There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, praise the Lord, for the old order of things has passed away. He he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water, of the water of life. He who has overcome will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. That is what our hope is in. I'll tell you what, there's days, and I know it's the same with many of you, there's days when you say, come Lord Jesus, come. 
Because that's where our true hope is. You see, I pray that this incredible faith, love, and hope found in this Thessalonian church would inspire each of us to grow our relationship with Jesus, to have a living faith, to have a working love, and to have a strong hope. Can I get a big amen? Amen. Well, Father, as we close this morning, I would just lift up, first of all, Lord, anyone in here that has not confessed you as Lord and Savior of their life with their, with their lips. Lord, that they have not asked you to come into their heart. They have not admitted that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. I pray in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would move on them in a mighty way today. And you would cause them to want to have the greatest gift, this blessed hope, this great uh, inheritance that we just read about that we each get, Lord, as believers. I pray that you would touch their heart and draw them to you. In Jesus' name, make it happen right now in Jesus' name. And God, for all of us that are born-again believers that, are, uh, that have confessed and have admitted and accepted the gift of forgiveness of grace, God, that we would want to strengthen and have a deeper faith in you. A working love, Lord. And a hope that rises up in any situation that we find ourselves in while we're living on this planet. That we can focus our eyes upon you and say, you know what? In light of eternity, in light of the hope that I have, praise the Lord. Because I'm going to a better place. God, I pray that you would use each one of us to win people. To share our story of who we were, how we met you, and what you're doing in our lives now. Prompt us. Holy Spirit, help us to know when you want us to to reach out and have a working love to touch someone, to help someone. Help us to hear and obey that still, small voice. I thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.